In discussion, unpack sustainability in the textile industry, following the cotton supply chain through Gujarat and Maharashtra in India, across the world to China. Discussing issues in the field with Indian farmers, local artisans and international fashion houses, from fibre to fabric to fashion. The textile industry is the second most polluting industry worldwide, accounting for 10% of global greenhouse gas emissions. Water is contaminated during production by toxic chemical dyes and throughout the garment's life. In one cycle, a washing machine can leach up to 1 million plastic fibres into our waterways. And the transport involved in outsourcing and shipping only worsens the problem of waste. Take resources, we make stuff and then we throw them away. It ends up in landfills, it ends up in oceans. Tend to feel a little bit better about ourselves, we do a bit of recycling. Recycling is still very much part of the linear economy because you recycle maybe once, maybe twice, everything's still ending up in landfill and the oceans, otherwise we wouldn't have so many landfills. Pavitra, from the Indian circular economy startup Infinitive, she describes fast fashion the rapid model of high-volume clothing production, consumption and disposal. For instance, online retailer Boohoo promises to go from design to online between two to three weeks. One billion tonnes of used but wearable clothing is thrown away every year in the UK, one-third of which goes to landfill. And the problem of waste is more acute in global Western countries. The average annual clothing disposal per American is 28 kilograms. Per Indian, only 1.5. So over the past 15 years, what we see is that the production of clothing has almost doubled, whereas the average clothing utilization has come down by almost 36%. It means that the number of times the garment is worn is coming down drastically. So the problem is much more acute in the developed countries in the West, where the fast fashion model is, there are newer styles coming in, you, you buy it and then you dispose it. But in developing countries like you know, India, the average clothing utilization is much more high. The products are much more durable uh, and they are nice. We are all aware of the need to protect our environment from uh, deterioration, further damage, wastage. Everybody has been constantly talking about the need to be sustainable, the need to protect our resources, the need to minimize our wastage. Devang and Sangeeta from the Indian fashion house of Anita Dongre highlight a key point. Sustainability demands not only waste reduction, but a drastic rethinking of our resource use. So often sustainability is used as a marketing buzzword, but as we accelerate towards 400% resource overuse by 2050, we cannot afford not to adopt a more sustainable approach to trade. Yet, responsibility for sustainability is often bandied about between key players in the textile value chain. Consumers, Businesses, not-for-profits and governments all face barriers to better practice. How you can create data logs at every stage of right from fibre to your textiles, not only in the manufacturing but also in processing, like say garment. I mean an ideal stage could be, which is being done in some companies in Sweden, I know, is there is a barcode with every garment, you scan it in your mobile and then the entire kind of history of that of that garment actually appears. It's a mammoth, mammoth task. How do you trace where the fabric is from, where it is staged? At every stage, point to point, every person in the link would, every person would have to be linked, which is not easy. Individual businesses can act as initiators by questioning norms and taking the considered rather than the fast or cheap option, as Devang and Shiraj from the Bombay Hemp Company explain. 
There are businesses that need to make conscious decisions about letting go of margins and letting go of their top line. If you leave it to chance, I don't think this is going to happen. You have to define what people's choices can be in the future. If I'm a consumer of a sustainable product, I know that the buttons that I'm currently wearing are all plastic, right? No one could highlight that, but everyone is wearing plastic buttons. Is there a better replacement for that? Is there an alternative for that? Up until there isn't, that can't be questioned. There are buttons, coconut husk buttons, etc., but they're pretty thick, and we do use some of them, but where it applies now, if I'm wearing a formal shirt, I'm not going to put coconut husk buttons and walk into it because that's not the norm, right? And you challenge the norm in some places, but you don't in some other places. Industry initiative. Someone has to take that initiative. That yes, I'll see that the fabric that I source is made sustainably. The fiber is so sustainably. I also consider what happens after the useful life. I see that all the dyeing, the chemicals that go into it are you know, certified. Say, if it is a uh, cotton, it is a God's organic cotton, or it's a better cotton, BCI cotton. So you track the entire value chain, and you do things right, and you communicate, and the customer will appreciate why it is priced high. That option is not being given to the customers on a scale presently. So I think it is also a game of volume. It is not just you know uh, you do it for one specific brand. Say for example. For our company, uh, and and Global Desi are a mass brands, which means that lakhs of garments are sold every year under these brands. And we chose a decision, we took a decision that we'll move to uh, cellulosic fibers, which are made by lensing. Lensing is one of the world's most sustainable fibers. We took a call that we need to move to this, despite the fact that it cost us higher, even at the cost of taking a hit in our margins. At present, more sustainable clothing is often unaffordable for many consumers. Alongside encouraging customers to buy less, brands must sacrifice some profit to make their garments more accessible, as Anita Dongre herself explains. When we started Anita Dongre Grassroot, we focused a lot on craft and luxury, and then the feedback we've received from our consumer is that they'd like to see a better priced product from Grassroot. So it's actually that's what we're working on now. So we're trying to make it more accessible to more, because we noticed that a lot of it was selling only in the sale, and so this is consumer but businesses' commercial and environmental priorities need not always conflict. In fact, these motivations can coalesce in maximising material use, minimising waste and stimulating job creation. We're growing at about 20x every eight months uh, from a top-line point of view, from an inventory-building point of view. And it isn't ha as hard to follow the same thing that you did when you were 20 times down. If you have it in your head that this is how the process has to move ahead, then this is how the process has to move ahead. The models create more employment than the traditional linear economy does, right? There's a lot of repair cafes being set, set up in places like Bangalore that actually provide employment. It's more labor intensive than the automated process of just manufacturing new parts. And you're looking for impact, but you're also looking to create wealth. Isn't it a sort of a conflict? And I don't think so, actually, because I feel we're looking to create impact at scale. And if you want to create impact at scale, you have to be commercially driven. A lot of non-profits do have great impact. But we've seen very few non-profits scale up. Or, or their impact is just limited to a particular geography or a particular sector. Sarah Vanan from TrustTrace makes a crucial point. Businesses can drive change by providing the vast scale needed to implement sustainable practice. Huge retailers like Patagonia, Speedo, H&M and even IKEA have started collection and recycling programmes in an effort to be fully circular. And what we need is a circular flow of resources. Starting from the design, the materials you choose to make a product, to where you're sourcing these materials from, how you manufacture, distribute, 
use and treat products at the end of their life. And that's what the circular economy framework helps you do. At every part of that value chain, improve resource use while reducing waste. I went to Canada a couple of years ago, was invited for a sustainable textile conference there, where I came across a few companies based out of Canada that actually collect loads and loads of clothes. They send it back to India. They remove all the buttons, they remove all the zips. They actually make like a leather jacket into a great looking different garment or a throw or even use it for upholstery. Just going zero waste is not circular economy. Despite all that we're saying about uh, recycling and you know, it's over recycle everything, more than 97% of it is virgin material that we're using to make clothes. Less than 1% of it is in closed loop recycling. Closed loop recycling essentially means if I've got this polyester based shirt, can I make another polyester based shirt from this that looks different, feels different five years from now? So the circular economy is not simple, it's not just like take what you have and put on a rental platform. Uh, it's about can you make your products in a way that are suitable for these rental platforms. Truly circular models, then, should treat recycling as a last resort. Garments must be consciously designed and manufactured to be durable, capable of being repaired, dismantled and repurposed. Indian company Terms, for instance, makes intelligent stain-repellent clothing suitable for rental platforms. Though individual corporate initiative is important, no one organisation can do everything. Large-scale sustainability demands total cooperation across the value chain for the benefit of the system as a whole, rather than any one interest. The idea also is to make sure we partner with enough communities in the process so that the business model is one where everyone's included in the process, not just us trying to take away the market by setting up everything in-house. It's also to create an industry. And so I think the entire ecosystem has to work. One company per se uh, will, someone has to take that initiative, but even the consumer has to come forward, the government has to play its role, the media has to you know, speak about it. Now say in the UK, the parliament has, the environment audit committee has called upon all the big brands to tell what has been their impact on the environment and what they are doing about it. Suppose they come up with laws saying that minimum wages, etc, etc, all things need to be right. Now that will be applicable to all brands operating in Europe, right? So then it's a level playing field. And then the prices will fall and then you as a consumer will choose that do I want to have newer styles every week or I'm a more responsible consumer. Mary Cray, UK MP and head of the Parliamentary Environmental Audit Committee, is campaigning to introduce a 1p business levy on garments, which would incentivise companies to make less and recycle more. To the same end, the EAC also supports reintroducing craft skills on school curriculums, reconnecting people with their clothing. Media can both support and undermine sustainability. Renuka Joshi Modi is the managing director of Vogue India. She explains that advertising less sustainable brands finances the magazine, enabling coverage of undervoiced sustainability stories. Now the hope is really to encourage our readers to adopt a more sustainable, a more mindful lifestyle through information and awareness, and to encourage them to think about where their clothes are coming from who's making these clothes, how they're made, where they're being made, and eventually where they're ending up. Across the value chain, from companies to consumers, we must rethink our economic-centric view of value. There's no such thing as low-cost clothing. Cheap garments always incur environmental and social costs. All actors have a responsibility to avoid imposing exploitative value chains for their own gain, as this example from Bangladesh highlights. 
thousands of workers, garment workers in Bangladesh have been laid off. So the biggest of brands including H&M, Mango, Primark, Next, all these retailers, they do get their garments made there. And the workers were wanting to have an increase in the minimum wages. The factories there weren't, they were not willing to do that. There was a protest and they actually had damaged the assets of some of the factories. And those who were a part of the protest were trying to be affiliated with some trade union, they were actually being cleared. So thousands of workers. This is the impact that the industry is having on To learn more about the different dimensions of sustainability, including social sustainability, listen to our episode on cotton production. Adverts and social media can drive appetite for new, cheaply priced garments. We own five times more clothing than our grandparents, projected ten times by 2025, yet a quarter of our wardrobes will never even be worn. As Mary Cray says, we are overbuying and underwearing. Where does that shirt go after 20 times that you wear it? And what, where does it go from there? Even if it has to be de- like it has to be put into landfill, what's the best way to put it into landfill? We must assume social responsibility for our choices as consumers and be conscious that we are part of an interconnected chain. So what is really a sustainable way to be sustainable? You know, because um, we do hear, okay, buy one dress and wear it many ways. Um, but asking someone to give up on buying that one more thing is sometimes a lot, is it? We really are at a very, very exciting moment um, where when it comes to fashion and when it comes to consumer goods in general because the public and the consumer really does have a lot of power in being able to ask their brands like what are you doing and to be able to kind of like change the course mm. of a brand. Um, obviously that's like my very idealistic point of view but um, I do believe that like you know you have um, organizations, for example, like Fashion Revolution, that yeah. encourages uh, consumers, like you know, any layman, to like tweet at Zara and tweet at uh, H&M and ask them, like, what are you doing? Like yeah. H&M, like who makes my clothes? And that's just in terms of ethical fashion, but it can be used for all of these different areas, right? Whether it is like for NGOs with when it comes to like what are your actual impact metrics, like mm. encouraging people to be more transparent. Mm. Um, I do believe that a consumer does have that power and the proof for that is the fact that like there are um, companies like Boheco and like Aquafil who are industry partners who also have to a B2B role. They're creating solutions to make sustainable product available for designers and uh, as well affordable. We can check for certification and scrutinise influencers and brands claiming to be circular or sustainable. There's no set definition of a sustainable product, so seemingly better lines like H&M Conscious can get away with using low percentages of so-called sustainable fibres. Leila Vasami from the Indian swimwear line, Pani, tells us more about greenwashing. It's basically green PR or green marketing that is deceptively used to promote the perception that an organization's products, aims or policies are environmentally friendly. It's essentially faking it till you make it and sometimes, you know, we have to be uh, a little aware that what we're reading about certain brands and the green messaging that they are, um, you know, pushing on us may not be entirely true. We should transition towards buying and wearing less and prioritise quality over quantity by choosing more transparent, sustainable brands like Reformation. But don't just throw out your wardrobe for a new sustainable capsule alternative. Maintain and upcycle your current clothes, 
buy secondhand and search for rental platforms like Netherland-based Mud Jeans or Y Closet in China. Moving from owning to sharing is one way forward. We heard many personal stories of sharing in Indian culture, from bridal wear to hand-me-downs. We all had private cars, which we drove to work for an hour. The cars leave there for like nine, ten hours, how many hours a day you work. And then you drive back in it for an hour. Something like 80% of a private car's time is idle time, meaning it's not being used. But there's been a massive amount of resources that's been put into making that car, right? Uh, so Uber and Ola, one Uber and one Ola on the road replaces the need for 10 or 11 other such cars. Now apply that same thinking to clothes. You're using five pieces of clothing in a day when you've got 100 sitting in your wardrobe. So say like the t-shirts that you're wearing, what happens to them after you, how long do you use them for? Yes. Two or three years. Okay, what happens to it after you, you use it? Charity shop. Okay, so typically here in India, the answer is we give it to our younger brother or sister. When I was growing up, young Indian girls wore, you know, dresses and skirts and I was just wearing like my brother's like big baggy t-shirt. I felt miserable, but it was very resource efficient, okay? So. <laughs> well, Vinaysha, the bride you just saw today is going to be wearing everything again. So it really depends on your mindset. We do a lot of styling workshops with our brides where you can take a lehenga, you can wear it with a shirt, you can wear it to a party later. My formal wardrobe is shared by all my cousins. Sangeeta has worn all my clothes for all the weddings she goes to. Everybody has shared it. I'll always get a WhatsApp message from my friend and say, hey, attending a wedding, can you send me three outfits, your personal ones? I'm like, sure, I will. You know, so in India, we come from large families, cousins, nieces, we share our clothes. Sharing is an integral part of our culture, and I don't want that to get lost. Though this seems small scale, we should encourage all measures towards more rather than absolute sustainability. However, we shouldn't forget that this urgent issue also demands large-scale, high-impact action and fast. More than mere environmental friendliness, sustainability demands environmental, economic and cultural attention. An interdisciplinary, intercultural approach is essential to rethinking this industry. In our other episodes, you can learn more about the range of issues related to textile sustainability and the Focus India project. <laughs>